Before I get into the message, let me uh, thank you for praying for me. I ask you to uh, pray for me on my uh, trip to uh, Oregon. I, I mentioned that I was having the opportunity to go there uh, to minister uh, to all of the pregnancy centers in the state of Oregon. And I acknowledged uh, to you that there's probably no more liberal state in the nation than Oregon related to the abortion issue, and there's probably no state in the union where pregnancy centers have come under greater attack that are suffering uh, uh, any greater hostility. Matter of fact, the uh, center that uh, basically uh, hosted me for the event, uh, their center a few years ago was firebombed and totally destroyed and uh, had to be uh, rebuilt. But they're getting hit from the, uh, from the political end, legislative, the media, uh, finding it very difficult to even get uh, support among the uh, churches there. And they're just really hurting. They're just really, really struggling. And uh, this was a statewide conference for all of their uh, pregnancy centers. And for me, the neat thing to see is that as the persecution has intensified, it has really unified the pregnancy centers there. Uh, they acknowledged to me that you didn't have to go back just to a few years, and they're almost each an island, uh, you know, to themselves. And, uh, and then they realized, as this persecution began to intensify, how desperately they needed one another and uh, their fellowship and how they needed to come together in unity. And that unity, they have found strength. And uh, there are 32 pregnancy centers in the state, and every single pregnancy center was at the conference except one, and they had a reason that they could not be there. And God wonderfully blessed uh, the meeting, so thank you for uh, praying uh, for that. Uh, I hope you picked up a copy of the sermon notes. We will not have PowerPoint. Our PowerPoint man got sick this morning, and uh, so he was not able to come with the uh, PowerPoint that I uh, sent him. And uh, so we'll be just working off the uh, sermon notes, and I'll try to be aware of that, especially as you come to the point where you have to fill in the blanks. I'll try to make sure I give those to you uh, clearly. Uh, you know, I, I just recently finished a series on uh, 15 Psalms, which are known as the Psalms of the Degrees in the Bible, Psalm 120 through 134. Uh, uh, next week will be a Lord's Supper service, and then the following week we'll have Love Indeed. And uh, those of you that are in the been in the church family for any time, you know on that Sunday uh, we'll have the Highland Church with us, uh, leading out in uh, worship. Uh, this is uh, one of the three mission churches that Edgewood has been in, involved in establishing in the community. And so I know I knew I needed a standalone message uh, this morning. And I, I prayed, God, what would you have me share? And, and this is exactly what God did. He brought to my mind uh, Brother David, uh, our former uh, senior pastor. You know, uh, uh, this month uh, celebrates uh, my 42nd year here at Edgewood. And, of course, about half that time I worked under Brother David as a senior pastor. And about the latter half of that I've... Uh, been the senior pastor myself. But when Brother David was a senior pastor and I was working under him, he would often give me the opportunity to uh, preach and teach. And uh, I, I did a message on the uh, filling of the Holy Spirit. And uh, when Brother David heard that message, he told me at that point, he said, Andy, I want you 
every single year, at least once a year, I'm going to give you the opportunity to preach that message. He said, I believe it is so important, this truth, uh, that I want you to share this uh, each and every year. And he would provide me that opportunity. And I have preached this since I've been senior pastor. I did check my records, and the last time I preached on this was four years ago. And so I, I thought in light of what he shared and the importance of this, and I, uh, Kathy and I, has, Kathy has often asked me, does it ever bother you to repeat messages? And I say, no. And, uh, and the reason for that is, if you read even the New Testament, you often hear the uh, Bible writers use a term, you know, you need to remember uh, what we spoke to you. You need to remember what we wrote to you. And they're offering, often encouraging them uh, to, to, to remember. And, and uh, just like we should never get tired of any portion of Scripture, and you can never exhaust it, uh, I think the same thing of a message. Since it's built on the Word of God, the message should always be fresh, and it also always should grow. So if you're familiar with this message, use this as an opportunity to uh, review your life in light of its truths. If it's new to you, we trust God will wonderfully uh, uh, bless it to your heart. Uh, so what we want to begin with is what is the filling of the, uh, the Holy Spirit? What is the filling uh, of the Holy Spirit? And then I'm going to conclude the message on looking at how a person is filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's so much confusion in this area, and I hope uh, the truth today will uh, greatly clarify that. You know, the epitome of frustration for a believer, and I think every one of us would uh, acknowledge this, including myself, is to know God's plan, is to know God's Word, to know what God's Word says uh, we ought to be and what we ought to do, but then to lack the power to get it done. I don't know that there's anything more frustrating than that. To know what I ought to be, I know what I ought to do, but I just seem to lack the power to get it done. I'll give you a, a great illustration of this back in my football days. When I was playing at uh, Auburn, um, we were in a scrimmage, and uh, I was a wide receiver. Now, you need to get the picture here. Uh, I was the smallest person on Auburn University's football team at that time, other than the place kicker, Gardner Jett. Uh, I was playing at about 155 pounds. And on this particular play, uh, my job was to execute what's called a crack, uh, uh, crackback block, which is illegal now uh, because it would have uh, destroyed so many people's knees over the years. But at that time, it was still legal. And I was supposed to execute this block on the defensive tackle. The only problem was this defensive tackle was David Campbell. And if any of y'all know Auburn's history, David Campbell was first team All-American. Uh, he was drafted by the Ta Dallas Cowboys. He was a monster of a man. He stood about 6'5", six, 6'7", six, and uh, probably getting close to 300 pounds. And it was my job on this play to take him out. I knew the play. I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. I knew how to execute it. The play began, and here I came to crack back on uh, David. And as I began the play, I've, I was so thankful, I noticed he was wrapped up in destroying the offensive guard that was also trying to block him. 
And I thought, he's never going to see me because I'm coming from his blind side. And, uh, and so, folks, I'm telling you, I put everything I had into it. I mean, I can't tell you. The adrenaline got going. I knew I had him, and I was going to take him out at the knees. And at the last split second, I actually caught his one eye as it caught me coming. He didn't have time to do anything. He was, he was wailing on this offensive guard, just waiting to see how the play was going to develop and react. And the only thing he had uh, time to do was to use his left forearm to sort of ward me off. Well, he did more than ward me off. When, he, when I came into him, he lifted that forearm. He caught me in the chest. He not only stopped my momentum, he lifted me way in the air, and I ended up about 10 feet behind the play on my backside. I mean, he literally just threw me like a rag doll. Well, folks, that's frustrating. When you know what you're supposed to do, you just can't get the job done. And sadly, that's where many of us live as believers, sort of continually flat on our back. Uh, just struggling with failure and discouragement, uh, knowing uh, what we ought to be, what we ought to be doing, and just seeming to lack the power to get it done. Uh, we talked a lot about this in one of our sessions uh, yesterday at the deacon's retreat and, uh, and the struggle that we all have in this area. So the question comes, well, where do you find the power to execute God's plan, which is a supernatural plan? Uh, which we cannot do in our own strength. Just like I couldn't handle David Campbell in my own strength. Where do we find the power to obey God's word? Where do we find the power to move from defeat to victory, to overcome temptation, to be a witness for Christ? And the answer is the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit. So please follow along in your sermon notes as we uh, attempt to answer that first question, what is the filling of the Holy Spirit? To try to bring clarity and maybe uh, clear up a lot of the confusion that exists around this area of teaching. Uh, first point, the filling of the Holy Spirit is not an option to consider, but a command to obey. That's the first thing that we need to see. It's not an option for a believer to consider, but it is a command a command to obey. And of course, our focal passage today is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And most of you are familiar with that passage. And by the way, all the uh, Bible references today in your sermon notes are taking, taken from the New Living Translation. Y'all know the American Standard Version is my typical uh, study Bible where uh, I typically uh, draw my verses from. But today, I just wanted to uh, go with a little more contemporary translation. I love the New Living Translation. I use it often. And so all the references are taken from that particular translation. So this is how it reads uh, from the New Living Translation. Our key verse, Ephesians 5.18, Don't be drunk with wine. Why? Because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, y'all know the New Testament was written in the Greek language. And when we look at the Greek grammar here in uh, Ephesians 5.18, we discover several very important truths about the filling of the Holy Spirit. The first thing that you 
see immediately in the Greek grammar is that the verse is in the imperative mood, which means it is a command. It's also in the Greek grammar plural. So it applies to all Christians, not just a select few, not just for the leadership, not just for your staff or your elders, your deacons. No, this is truth for every single believer in the church family. And then the verb be filled is in the present tense in the Greek grammar, which means keep on being filled with the Spirit. Therefore, the filling of the Spirit is to be enjoyed, ideally, constantly. And not just on, you know, special occasions of, of service or something of that nature. Uh, the verb is also, and this is very interesting, and this is going to lead us into some very important application as we get further into the message. The verb is also uh, uh, in the passive voice, which simply means, don't want to get real technical on you, it simply means, I don't feel myself. You don't feel yourself with the Holy Spirit. That's the work of God. God fills us. But God fills us, very important now, as we meet certain conditions. So it's in the passive voice. I don't feel myself. It's God fills me, but he fills me as Andy Merritt meets certain conditions that God has established in his word. And since there are conditions to be met, you can what? You can come in and out of the filling of the Holy Spirit. So the first truth we need to nail down when we look at Ephesians 5.18 about the filling of the Holy Spirit is that it is not an option for you to consider. This is a command that God has given to every believer. Look at the second truth, very, very important. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not the coming of the Spirit into my life. It's not the coming of the Spirit into my life, but the controlling of the Spirit within my life. So when we talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit, it's not the, the Holy Spirit coming into my life or coming into your life, but rather it's the Holy Spirit controlling our lives from within. Uh, let me explain. Uh, shortly after I was converted to Christ, uh, and uh, I just celebrated my uh, 49th spiritual birthday, uh, September 20th, 1970 is when I was converted. And uh, shortly after I was converted, a person asked me, well, Andy, yes, you were converted, but have you received the Holy Spirit? I asked, well, what do you mean by that? And they said to me, well, after you receive the blessing of salvation, there is a second blessing to receive, which is the Holy Spirit coming into your life. And they further told me, I would know when the Holy Spirit had come into my life because it would be accompanied by me speaking in tongues. Now, many of you may not know what I mean by that expression, and I, this is, the purpose of this message is not to teach on the gift of tongues, but this is one of the gifts that are enumerated in the New Testament. Very simply, the, here's the gift of tongues. Here's the definition of it. It's a person speaking in a known 
foreign language that is unknown to the speaker, which is a supernatural act of God. In other words, I don't know German. Uh, the gift of tongues would be me being given the supernatural ability by God to speak in German, although I don't know the language. The New Testament is also very, very clear is that the reason God gave this gift in the early church was as a sign to unbelievers. That was its purpose. Its purpose was for evangelism, to authenticate the credibility of the gospel and then also to make the gospel known. And you can see how important this gift would have been in the early days in promoting and propagating the gospel of Jesus Christ to all nations and to all people, groups, and tribes who spoke very many different uh, languages. So this person said, you know, hey, if, uh, now let me state, that is the true definition of the gift of tongues. Gift of tongues is terribly abused in, in many, many churches today, uh, where it's just considered ecstatic, uh, gibberish, uh, and that's not the true gift of tongues. True gift of tongues is speaking a known language, unknown to the one speaking it, which is a supernatural act of God. And again, it is a sign for unbelievers to authenticate the gospel and propagate uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, the people that asked me that question, you know, well, Andy, have you received the Holy Spirit? You know, have you, have you spoken in tongues as a demonstration that you have? Th they were very well-meaning people. I mean, the, these were people that loved me. Uh, they were very sincere. I, I, don't, I don't have any ought against them, but I need to say, Without hesitation, and very strong, they were wrong. They were wrong. They were wrong biblically. That is totally contrary to what the Scripture teaches. Look at Romans 8, 9. Look at these verses, and these are just several. We could spend a whole message just dealing with this issue right here and driving it home, but these should, she's, these should be enough. Uh, Romans 8, 9. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And then look at Ephesians 1.13. This could not be clearer. And when, circle that word when, and when you believed, He identified you as His own, how? By giving you the Holy Spirit whom He promised long ago. So when does a person receive the Holy Spirit? The moment he believes. You couldn't have a clearer verse. When you believed in Christ and he identified you as his own, he did that by giving you the Holy Spirit. And then look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Don't you realize? He's speaking to believers in the church of Corinth. He said, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? and it was given to you by God? I mean, the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit into your life is one of the three new covenant promises to every believer. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the first thing that he promised you is, I've forgiven you and I'll remember your sins no more. I will never hold your sins against you in a sense of it blocking your opportunity to fellowship with me. Second promise in the new covenant is, I've given you a new heart. A new heart that hungers after me, that thirsts after me, that has different desires now, that wants to seek me. And the third promise is, now you're my temple. I've come to live in you 
and to empower you to do what you otherwise could not do apart from me. And that's the promise. And that happens at conversion. So here's the point. Now listen very, very carefully. Very powerful point. Simple but powerful. There is no need for a believer to seek for what he already possesses. So you are, if you're a believer in Christ, you possess the Holy Spirit. When you believed, He came to dwell within you. So there's no need for you to get the Holy Spirit. There's no need for you to get more of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is a person. And He came to dwell in you. Here's the issue. Here is the issue. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not you getting more of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit getting more of you under His control. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit. Not you getting more of the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit getting more of you under His control and influence. Again, going back to Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. The word filled, the Greek word that's translated filled, is pleruo in the Greek. And it's important to see the three ways this word is used in the New Testament. It's used in three different ways. And when you see the three ways this word is used in the New Testament, you clearly understand what the essence of the filling of the Holy Spirit is. The first way this word was used in the, in the New Testament was empowerment. That's that first blank. In, empowerment. God empowering you. Giving you strength. Uh, for example, there, there were uh, some occasions in the Scripture where this word filled was literally used of winds, filling the sails of a ship to move it along. So in the same way, it's the Holy Spirit that what? Fills the sails of our lives to keep us moving along the course that God has laid out for us to follow. The, the, the second way this word was used was related to permeation. That's the second blank. Permeation. P-E-R-M-E-A-T-I-O-N. I, or you might want to just put, especially those that have some age on you like me, I, I have in parentheses in my notes the fizzy principle. Now, I, I, don't, I don't think they have these anymore, so the young people probably don't have a clue. But when I was a kid, I used to love this thing. You know what I'm talking about? There were these fizzies that you could get. You could buy at the store, and there were little tablets uh, different colors, and you would just simply take those fizzies and you'd get you a glass of just plain water and you'd drop that fizzy in that water and then, you know, it'd, it'd begin bubbling and suddenly that water would totally change color. Uh, that was a color and it would be a fruit drink. You know, it'd be lime or it'd be cherry or whatever it might be. And that's the idea of, of once the Holy Spirit is placed in you, now God's desire is what? For that Holy Spirit then to permeate the entirety of your life to where your life is changed, transformed, brought under the control and influence of the Holy Spirit. A great biblical example of this is when Mary of Bethany broke the alabaster vial of perfume and poured it on Christ. We read in John 12, 3, the house was full filled with the fragrance of the perfume. In other words, once you broke that alabaster vial and that perfume was, you could not be in that house and escape that fragrance. 
right? In the same way, listen now, the filling of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit so permeating a Christian's life that the reality of Jesus in the Christian's life is revealed to all who come in contact with that individual. But the dominant use of the word, the most, the most dominant way this word was used in the New Testament is that next blank, control. Control. I'll give you a couple, several sort of negative examples. Uh, John 16, 6, we read, Sorrow has filled your heart. Luke 5, 26, they were filled with fear. Luke 6, 11, they were filled with rage. In other words, what is it saying? On those occasions, because of various circumstances or, th- or in their reaction to it, uh, you know, in the first example, they were, they were being controlled by sorrow. That it just totally overwhelmed them, permeated their life. They were totally being controlled, influenced, or whether it's fear, or whether it is rage. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit simply means to be what? Controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's that simple, to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And this is why the, whole, why the Apostle Paul contrasted the filling of the Holy Spirit with what? Being drunk. It's obvious why he uses this as a contrast. When someone gets drunk, what happens? They come under the control or the influence of alcohol. And under the influence of alcohol, once they're they're drunk, inebriated, a person will do things that they would never do when sober. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, don't come under the influence of alcohol or any substance. Don't be controlled by that. Don't be dominated by that. No, no. You stay controlled by the Holy Spirit. You stay under the Holy Spirit's influence. And under the control of the Holy Spirit, a believer will do things that he otherwise could not do. And if you just read the book of Acts, just a casual reading of the book of Acts, what you will discover without exception is that the filling of the Holy Spirit always resulted in the courage to live or witness for Christ. Always. That's what it resulted in. When a person was filled, came under the control, the influence of the Holy Spirit, the result was that person was empowered, controlled by God to live for Jesus and often in very difficult circumstances or to be a witness for Christ, again, often against opposition and hostility and persecution. So the filling of the Holy Spirit is not the coming of the Spirit into my life, but the controlling of the Spirit within my life. Look at the third truth, very important. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not getting charismatic gifts, but growing in Christ-like character. The filling of the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with getting charismatic gifts. Now, there is the issue of charismatic gifts, but that doesn't relate to the filling of the Holy Spirit, although you need the filling to make sure you're exercising those gifts appropriately and not abusing them, and which is a possibility. So the filling of the Holy Spirit is not about getting gifts. No, it's about growing in Christ-like character. You know, as I mentioned earlier... 
There are those who teach that speaking in tongues is the evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, if you've never spoken in tongues, they would say you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. As I mentioned, this teaching is wrong. And it's caused much confusion within the body uh, of Christ. And, And again, my fellow believers that adhere to that, I love them. Uh, especially with pregnancy center work. I've worked with many of them hand in hand, so I don't have any ought against them. I want to demonstrate a love greater than our differences, uh, but uh, biblically it is just not uh, correct. Now, now just think with me a, a moment about the church at Corinth, for example. We know from 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 that the gift of tongues was practiced in that church, Right? We know that. It's very, very clear. Now, I, I could get more into this. It's very obvious there was probably more abuse of the gift than uh, using it properly, uh, but it's very, very obvious. You, no mistake. They had, they, many in the church had it, and it was being practiced. Uh, uh, now, if speaking in tongues is the evidence of being filled with the Spirit, you would think that this church must have been the most spirit-filled church in the entire New Testament. But when you study 1 Corinthians, what do you learn? This church was a mess, right? Most of you are uh, familiar enough with the Scriptures to be aware of that. This church was filled with sin. I mean, immorality was prevalent. This church was filled with division and cliques and murmuring and complaining and criticizing one another, competing against one another, attacking one one another. This church was filled with selfishness, where gratification was ruling the day, not glorifying God. So the filling of the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with receiving spiritual gifts. Now, now these verses are not in your notes, but listen, and you might want to get them down in, in in the margin of your notes. John 16. John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. This is Jesus speaking, and this is Jesus speaking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. When after his uh, death and resurrection, ascension to heaven, how at that point, as people began to believe, they would receive the Holy Spirit. And notice what he says about the coming of the Holy Spirit into a believer's life. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth, and he shall glorify me. For he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. The point that I want you to see, what is the Holy Spirit's primary ministry in the life of a believer? Not put the attention on the Holy Spirit, but put the spotlight what? On Jesus. To glorify Jesus. To make Jesus known to you. To, to open up his word to you so that you can see the beauty of Jesus. So you can see the magnificence of Jesus. You can see that he truly is worthy of worship. He is worthy of your attention, your affections, your allegiance, all that you are and all that you possess. Joseph Parker, and I love this quote, great man of God of many years ago, he said, what light is to the earth, the Holy Spirit is to Christ. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, again, is simply to put the spotlight on Christ. Simply put, the, the goal of the Holy Spirit, therefore, is what? The primary goal is to make you like Jesus, that Jesus might be made known here on earth. And so the real test 
for the filling of the Holy Spirit is not do I speak in tongues, but am I becoming more like Jesus Christ? That's the test. Look at Ephesians 3, just several verses that reinforce this. Ephesians 3, verses 16 and 17. I pray that from His glorious unlimited resources, He will empower you. How? With inner strength. How? Through the Holy Spirit that lives in you. Then Christ will make His home in your heart. Not that He's not there, but He'll be at home. He'll be able to dwell comfortably, to have His way, to have His will, to change you, transform you as you trust Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Look at 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And the Lord, who is the Spirit... God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God three in one, but the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him, like Jesus, as we are changed into His glorious image. And then John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will produce fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Now think about that. Why did God graft us as sinful branches, why did he break us off that sin of tree and graft us into Jesus as our vine? He literally grafted us into the wounds of Jesus to make us one with him. For what purpose? To enable us to produce fruit. Well, how do we produce that fruit? As we're grafted into Jesus, we know that flow of the sap, the life-giving sap into our branch. And what is that sap? It's the Holy Spirit, the person in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what's the purpose of that union? What's the purpose of the flow of the sap into our branch? To bring spiritual health. Why? So that we produce fruit. And what is the fruit we are to produce? Don't miss this. It's the reproduction of the life of Jesus. And don't miss this. Have you ever seen a grapevine eat its own grapes? No, it produces fruit that others might pick from it and find nourishment. It's a beautiful picture of the heart of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that we've been united to Jesus through faith in Jesus. As we knew that faith, the Holy Spirit was flow, began to flow into our branch to produce fruit, to reproduce Jesus that others would find nourishment, that, that we personally, as a church, we would become an oasis of Jesus in the wilderness of a sin-cursed world that's on its way to hell. To bring them the life, that out from our lives could flow His light life and His love. Uh, so again, uh, the real test is not do I speak in tongues, but is Christ's life being reproduced in me for the benefit of others? And then look at the fourth truth. By the way, don't worry. It's obvious we're not going to finish this message. Uh, I'll, I'll finish that last part, how you're filled with the Holy Spirit, which is very important. Make sure you're back next week. Uh, I'll, I'll take the time to do that in that Lord's Supper service, and uh, I believe I can work that in. Uh, the fourth truth, the filling of the Holy Spirit, so important right here. It's not an experience to be sought. It is not an experience to be sought, but a relationship to be maintained. It's not an experience to seek, but a relationship to be maintained. See, many Christians, listen to me now, listen very carefully. Many Christians make the mistake of seeking dramatic 
spiritual experiences thinking that if that will happen, that will usher them in into some sort of super spiritual state. Now, now please don't misunderstand me. Don't take me too far. I am not saying the Christian life is void of dramatic spiritual experiences. No, that's, that's part of it. I'm just saying that's not the thing we seek. Uh, just a good example. It's like romance in marriage. Romance is the byproduct of what? A healthy marriage relationship. So what you, what you do, you put the focus on the relationship. And as you focus on the relationship and a healthy relationship, that bears fruit. It makes a difference. And it's the same thing with this issue of the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's not an experience I'm seeking related to the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's maintaining my relationship with God, knowing as I do that, then things will happen and God will use me. Uh, so bottom line, what we're seeing here is, and get this down, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. And, it, and, and we're to relate to the Holy Spirit as a person. So look at the three basic commands. They're right there in your notes. You find three basic commands in the New Testament concerning your relationship with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4.30 we read, Do not bring sorrow. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by the way you live. Now, how do you grieve the Holy Spirit? You know the answer to that. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we choose sin, whether it's sin by actions or attitudes. So sin always damages a healthy relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. Just again, go back to the analogy of marriage. You know, selfishness, unfaithfulness, you can go on and on. It destroys a healthy relationship. Right? It, it, it puts a couple at odds with one another. And in the same way, if I choose sin, whether it's in actions or attitudes, I'm damaging my relationship with the Holy Spirit. I don't lose the relationship, but it's definitely going to affect my fellowship, my relationship. Just like, you know, as a parent of uh, 10 children, there's nothing one of my children could ever do that would stop me from being their daddy them being my child, but there are a lot of things that they could do that could definitely strain that relationship and could impact our closeness and our intimacy and our fellowship uh, t together. Simply put, when sin is in, is in control, the Holy Spirit's not in control of your life. It's just that simple. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. It says, do not stifle, or of course, many of your Bibles has quench the Holy Spirit. How do you quench the Holy Spirit? This is the other side of the coin, by choosing not to do the things He asks us to do. In other words, when we refuse to obey or submit to God's Word, when you refuse to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit, that's when you quench the Spirit's power in your life. It's like pouring water on a fire. And that is how a believer ends up lukewarm with no passion for God. 
because they're not submitting to God's Word. They're not following God's Word, stepping out in faith to trust Him and obey Him. And then look at it, Galatians 5.25. Let us follow. Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And how do you follow the Spirit's leading? Again, let's not make this complicated. One step at a time. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. It's all about God's Word. All about God's Word. I step out, trust, obey. And as I do that, the Holy Spirit empowers. It's like, you know, it wasn't until they put their feet into the Jordan River that God, what, parted it. They had to make that step of faith, obeying God's Word. Fifth thing, we'll end with this one right here. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not an emotion to thrill the saved. It is not an emotion. It has nothing to do with emotions to thrill the saved, but it is an, an empowerment to reach the lost. And this may be one of the primary reasons we see so little of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and our churches because we have not entered the purpose for which God gave the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that is to make Christ known to others. Look at Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. For what purpose? And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. So the purpose of the filling of the Holy Spirit, listen now. It is not to slay you. It is not to shake you. It is not to thrill you. But it is to empower you to reach the lost. And I'll, quit. I'll close with this quote. I've said it before, Andrew Murray is my favorite devotional writer. He was a missionary to South, South Africa in the uh, 18, 1800s. Uh, I've read every single devotional book he's ever written. He is my absolute favorite. And I just want to leave you with this quote from Andrew Murray on this point. And so, the promise of the Holy Spirit in his Pentecostal fullness of power comes for one purpose. That purpose is to bring the life of the church as a whole and each believer into harmony with the will of the Father and the work of the Son so that they live only for what God and Christ live for, the glory of God in the salvation of men and women. The Spirit has come to fill us with the love and zeal and strength that will make us live and die, that every creature may know the love of God. As we give ourselves to this and wait at God's feet for His orders, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon us. Amen. End of quote. Father, I trust that this uh, message has brought uh, clarity uh, to this issue of the uh, filling of the Holy Spirit that it's not really a matter of us getting more of the Spirit, but the Spirit getting more of us uh, to make us more like Jesus, that Christ might be made known through us to reach a lost world. So, Lord, take this truth, use it to change our lives. And as we come back next week to look at how we're filled with the Holy Spirit, those conditions that we need to meet, uh, Lord, we uh, trust even there you'll give us the uh, motivation uh, and even the empowerment to do that as we step out to trust you and obey you. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.